Blog Talk Radio. Jimmy's needy parents 
forced him to deliver the newspapers the next week, and his fears of being molested again intensified. Um, you know, I'm not going to read a whole lot more because there's so much here, and I just want Jim to be able to go into his story. And um, so I am going to go ahead and bring Jim on, but I also want to let you know that I have a co-host this evening, Miss Victoria, and I'm happy to have her on here as a co-host, and I'm bringing you on right now, Victoria. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, and uh, hey. I want to welcome uh, Jim uh, as our guest, and uh, really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your story. Really thank you for that. Yeah, so Jim, we just brought you on as well. Yeah. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hi, Jim. Jim. Hi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for being here this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, I met, uh, spoke with Phil, uh, originally about 10 yeah. years ago, and I did a show, and, um, uh, but I followed, uh, you guys through Facebook and always marveled at the, uh, the wonderful, um, angel like work that you perform. So, uh, uh, so I've been working and writing and, and, um, and wanted to circle back and say hello to Bill. We had some nice chats on, on our, through our emails and, um, uh, and, uh, you know, get, come back on the show and say hello to everybody and say, I'm still around. I'm still yeah. here and still fighting, fighting the good fight for all our victims. All right. So, yeah. Awesome. We're so glad you're here. And I know it's been a while, so, you know, normally how we go about this is kind of go in chronological order, if you want, and start, you know, back around age 11, I guess, when, or even before that, if you wanted to, if you want to tell us a little bit more about your family, just however you want to do it, this is your show, and so we are just here to support you and maybe ask questions once in a while, so... Um, a little way through, we might interrupt you and just say, hey, somebody has a question, and um, if that's okay, and um, just kind of turn it over to you and let you take over. Does that sound good? Sounds perfect, yeah. Okay. So, You're going to do awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was born into a um, highly addictive uh, family. and. Um, uh, let me let me begin by saying I'm 68 years old, and uh, uh, I I journaled I started journaling in 1980, and uh, and, and 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 wrote approximately every 10 years, um, and uh, uh, detailed my progress with uh, you know, being raised in that in in, in a dysfunctional generational uh, family, and um, and while I wrote it, I also wrote the dreams and the hopes of what I would become. So what I'm going to share with you is a is the beginning of life that is like a circle, right? Although I'm I I, I have a lot of life left in me. Um, it's like look think about it as a circle. So I enter into birth. And I'm 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 the second oldest in a in a uh, an Irish um, uh, alcohol family, practicing Catholics and uh, um, being an addict 
became a way of life in one way or another because the parents were role modeling, you know, addiction, right, and dysfunction. So uh, as I used to say when I was younger, if you could teach a child to read and write, you could certainly teach a child to be an addict and dysfunctional. So um, they had a lot of kids really quickly. They had six kids over the span of, I don't know, eight or nine years. Um, and uh, there was not enough money. And so I was the second oldest in the family. And at the age of 11, I was given a, a paper route in Chicago. I was raised on the south side of Chicago. And in this particular neighborhood, there were a lot of apartment buildings. And it was it was terrifying right from the beginning. You know, I was, I was up early. I was uh, in the dark alone. And... Um, uh, and and was profiled on the paper route. And being inside that family, in my family, uh, you know, there was just, there was a lot of neglect. Uh, there was, there was, you know, there wasn't a lot of, I mean, I never bonded with my parents um, because they were just always, you know, their, their main focus um, was not, you know, good parenting, I suppose. Now, keep in mind, too, that this was, you know, in the 1960s, and things have changed dramatically. Um, but, 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 but not so dramatically, because children are still raised in the same dysfunction as they were, you know, in probably 1900s and 1920s. This, this generational trauma and disease has been going on for centuries. And so, um, uh, so I, I am, I'm, I'm gregarious. I still am. I, I had a personality and, um, uh, I was profiled on the paper route. Um, I was the perfect candidate to be assaulted. Somebody said hello to me. I said hello back. <clears throat> um, and over some time, uh, he groomed me and, um, and the sexual assault occurred. Incredibly traumatized. It was, it was as if my mind was frozen. And um, with fear, and I went in this moment from this this kid that, you know, was oblivious to his surroundings, gregarious, into this life and death situation. And um, but I didn't have the skill set at the age of 11 to come home and say anything to my parents because it was an unsafe environment, right? So I took the load on myself, and so. Uh, so I was betrayed the first time by the, by the abuser. Um, and like most children, again, this is 1960s, but this was, you know, a, a red flag went up because I didn't want to go back out on that route because of what had happened. So uh, I took the newspapers and I threw them in the garbage can. And I threw them in the alley. And lo and behold, I found out, and I, after I did it, I thought I I had gotten away with it. It was dark when I did it, and only to find out that there was a newspaper inspector that was inspecting the paper route that I was performing. So the next thing I knew, I was down in the basement and hiding, and, uh, you know, an inspector, newspaper inspector came to the door and said, hey, you should come follow me. Look at the alley. He threw all the newspapers in the alley. And uh, that was a huge red flag. And um, 
but it was it was glossed over, you know, it was glossed over as, as I was just something wrong and they needed money. You know, my parents needed money, you know, and so I was forced to go back out on the paper route. And, uh, and um, you know, so the trauma just kept occurring. So it was, it was, it was multiplying the original trauma, then, um, you know, not being able to share what had happened to me, uh, instinctively knew I would be blamed. And, um, and so I did what I did, which was try to defend myself by my solution was just get rid of the papers. You know, I'm 11 years old. Nobody's going to find out I did it and only to find out that I had done a messy job. And, and so trauma number two was, was being caught doing something, being blamed for something, not feeling safe enough to explain why I did it and just looking like I'm nuts. And um, the paper, Dr. even said, he's not old enough to have a paper out. My parents said, got to work, you know, he's got to, you know, you know, so they convinced them to put me back out there um, or to allow me to go back out there. And then, and then, uh, uh, you know, so I engaged with that, got away with, you know, delivered them in, in heightened state of fear and uh, enlisted an older boy in the neighborhood. We had this little place that we played ball at and and uh i said hey i felt protected by him you know he gave me attention and again you know he he uh i said hey you know this guy's bothering me over on 91st street can you help me out and he said tell me what happened and i told him and um and uh the next day and this all took place in like within a month you know, in about a month, it was just this huge upheaval in my family and, 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 and what was going on. So I enlisted this kid that was this young guy that was couple, probably a couple years older than me to go talk to him because he was the toughie in the neighborhood. And when I went into, uh, the, you know, went to the house with him the next day, uh, I ended up in the basement being assaulted again. And this young fella, this older kid in the neighborhood, that I wanted to protect me went and stole some rings. Um, yeah. And I was the bait. And uh, uh, so, um, but then, I don't know. You know, the memory's hard, right? But very quick time, um, the molester, he had a mother that was 11. I don't know, you know? Anyway, she she saw, saw some rings were stolen. She called the police. She thought there was a burglary. Um, the police came out. One of the neighbors said, hey, we saw the paper boy walk in the house. You know who he is? Yeah, I, I, I see him at, you know, church at St. Albies. And they went to St. Albies and they found my picture in the school uh, pictures, you know, the class pictures. They picked me out. And then the next thing that happened was is I was in a police station for the first time when I was 11, maybe, you know, 11 and a half. And... Um, and being wow. accused of uh, of theft. And um, my father, the day before we went to the police station, I was in the yard, he came out, he said, hey, the police just called, and uh, they're saying that you stole some rings. And um, and and he said, uh, and I just knew to lie, you know. I, he goes, did you steal any rings? I said, no. And he said, well, tomorrow we're going to go to the police station, and, um, and we're going to tell them that we don't know what you're talking about. 
what they're talking about, you know. And uh, and so when you're you're raised in an environment where you can't trust the adults, you just learn to to be scrappy and to you know to defend yourself. So the next day we went to the police station and there was this younger police sta- policeman that was there and he said, uh, you know, walked in the door. It was incredible. You know, it was a Sunday morning and there was a lot of activities that you could see in, you know, in any television show, there were people that were arrested from the night before. And, and I was there and, and we, I walked up to the car of my dad and he said, uh, yeah, this, this detective is, in the other room waiting for you. Let me go find them. It's again, more terror, right? Incredible, incredible amount of terror. And, uh, and on the way to the police station, you know, my father said, you never, you don't know anything about this. Well, we got in the room, we opened the door and the molester was there. And, uh, and, uh, and I had to sit next to him and I, I, uh, um, you know, I just, uh, I held up, you know, I mean, Everybody, it, it was it was it was crazy because my father was scared. Everyone was looking at me, and I I just lied about it. And during the lie, an older policeman came in the door and he said, "Hey, I heard what happened." And he, he basically said, "You know, I know that he's been he's been accused. You know, the molester was with me. I call him Larry Creep in the book." And um, he said, "Mr. Creep is is has been suspected of pedophilia, and 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 you should have waited for him." He's telling the younger policeman, and he says, "Jimmy's already lied. It's too late. He can't take it back now." And he was pleading with my father that he said, "Maybe something happened. We have to forget about the rings for now." And at that point, I didn't trust anybody, and I was like, "You know, I'm I'm going to get through this thing." So, and I did, and. Um, and then I walked out, and then uh, when we got in the car, my father said, you know, you know, we're through, you know, called me, you know, told me remind you of a queer he knew, and, and I was just mm-hmm. crushed again, you know. And so that was my... At 11 years old. That was at 11. And, um, and, and but here I am, right? And so, so I, I did another interview a couple of weeks ago and somebody said, well, what did you, how'd you feel about that? And I said to them, and I'll say this is that in that moment in the police station, I don't, time slowed by, slowed down for me. And, and I wrecked, my father lit a cigarette and his hands were shaking. And I saw all the, just all the commotion. And um, I just, I walked out, you know, I walked out and I got stronger and, uh, uh, I survived it and, um, and I didn't crush it. It, it crushed me, but I, I, I came through. So I, I, I found that I had something in me that I didn't know was there. And, um, and, uh, and then from there I started to fight back from there, you know, very quickly, I recognized I, I, my mind, I, I think I was blessed with the ability, you know, to discern all this stuff at, at a really young age. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and here I am at the age of 68. And, and in my mind, I tailored this thing around that I was this, oh, this was later on in life that, that, that I was this great soul, you know, that, 
that was taking mm-hmm. on this burden and that I was going to share this. And, uh, and here I am. So, <laughs> so my memory is, my memory is accurate, right? Um, and so here I am, you know, and, and, and I have so much to share. So, so, so I fought back and, and, and yeah, so the, you know, and, and then, and then, and then my grades, you know, and in, in, in a book for someone, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful read because it's a roadmap, right? So it's a roadmap in the sense that I share, I share the first story takes place where there's a meeting in heaven and, or some in the, in the 10th dimension. And I'm, and I'm asked to like do something, you know, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's not fair. I recognize that it's not fair. I want to sign autographs. I want to be a movie star. And uh, <laughs> hey, you yeah. know, Jim, and, do you mind me just interrupting you real quick? Yeah, no, please go ahead. Um, yeah, jump in, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say this might be a good time to see if anybody has any questions. And I had a couple questions that I'd love to ask you too, if sure. if that's okay. <laughs> sure. Of course. Um. So was the molester Larry the Creep, was he a child as well, or was he an adult? No, he was an adult. He, in my memory, oh, he, was. he was probably in his mid-20s. Oh, okay. You know, he, he, yeah, he was wearing a factory green outfit. His name Larry was on his name tag. So he was working. Maybe oh. he was working the midnight shift. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you know, he was an, he was definitely an adult. And um so I know that a lot of people do know about this, especially that listen to this this show, but um you wanna maybe just explain what profiling is and, and grooming just for people who maybe don't know that term and sure. and how that worked in, in your life, how that affected, you know, you. <laughs> Yeah. How you were. So, so, yeah. In, in 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 what I wrote, there's a letter. There's a letter from Larry Creep, parents. That's quite stunning. But but basically, oh, wow. the grooming. The grooming is is that the 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 the, the pedophiles, and and you know, they look for kids that are that are that are alone. They look for kids that. They can talk to. They'll test them with small conversation. Um, they'll act like they're their friends, and they'll gain information uh, talking to the child. Like they'll find out pertinent information about my, your mother and father, your home life, and um, and as they're they're talking to to me or to you know overall, they'll 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 gain their their confidence. They're, they're trying to gauge whether or not they're going to be found out. You know, they're they're, they're trying to figure out while they just have simple conversation. Where do you live? What school do you go to? You know, what's your father work at? What's your mother like? How many brothers and sisters do you have? They'll be able to gauge. An experienced pedophile is able to is is able to gauge, you know, your emotional state, the child's emotional state, and how vulnerable they are. And then they will meet the child's needs that are not being met at home as a way of gaining trust. Mm. And they will plan, like any premeditated act, they will plan a day where the assault is going to occur. 
once they've decided that that the child will not is not in a safe ground with with their home life and they feel safe and they've convinced the child that no one will help them and that they will be blamed when they when they bring the child to the state where where the child or they'll plant that seed that they'll be blamed but that's their whole goal is not to get caught to execute to execute the terror the evil the trauma and uh and and not be found out and and and, and most of the time i believe it's successful um and so that's why wonderful people like you you know you know the angels keep raising awareness that we have to take better care of our children you know we have to be watchful because we're surrounded by evil people that are, are are looking for that disassociated child, Trey, but and they're getting even. I, I you know, I, in my heart of heart, I believe that 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 probably my molester was molested, and he's getting even. He's paying back something that was done to him. It's mixed in with some pleasurable thing that goes on. And uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah so it's thank just you. a normal conversation. It's like any kind of sales, sales kind of. It's the same thing as buying a car. You know, it's like, you know, it's like buying a piece of cake. It's just, it's a normal human to human introduction, and they 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 gain information to use against the child, and, and when they feel strong enough, and and, and they won't get caught the assault. Anyway, yeah, but, you know, there are people out there that don't understand that. They don't realize. And, you know, you hear it all the time, especially like in churches and things that, um, you know, we just wanted to be welcoming and opening and we wanted to believe that this person would not do that. And, um, you right. know, and then right. so they, that's why they get away with it for so long. Just like you said, they get away with it because people don't want to believe that that person would do that and um right and right. I, just, I just friend requested you and so i'm gonna also tell you what else i do but um not on not that i'm here i'll just send you a little message but um yeah thank you for just kind of explaining that and and then the profiling is part of the grooming as well because you like you said they're trying to figure figure you out and see if um they can get away with it if it's going to be something that you run and tell and when kids I think a lot of the times I know I didn't realize and I was five when I first had my first experience that I didn't realize that it was necessarily wrong so that's why I didn't go tell my parents I didn't know I didn't know what to think I just was Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know probably like you at 11 it was like what just happened I don't understand you know and um and then and then that's how they continue to get away with it because you are confused and um, not knowing. And so it is important that we teach our kids from a very young age, and it's part of what I teach as well, that they need to know body parts and need to know the, the right names for body parts and, and things like that, because that is what's going to throw off somebody like that, is when you start talking about your own penis and nobody can talk, you know, nobody can touch it. But that that will right, throw them off. Right. They'll be like, what? Right. Um, yeah, that, no, yeah, yeah. better not say anything. <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah, it's such an important thing. And I think I wish I would have known more of these tools that I go out and teach now when I was raising my kids. I have three grown children, and now I have six grandchildren. Mm -hmm. So I can use those on, you know, those practices of my my grandchildren, and I do. But, um, but yeah, it's something that not everybody knows. Not everybody knows what grooming is or profiling. So thank you for sharing that. And Victoria, I didn't want to leave you out. Are you still there? Do you have a question? Oh, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say, um, I can relate to the, the dysfunctional family. My uh, my mom uh, sent me and my two brothers to Minnesota. She had all three of her kids by the time she was 20. And then she sent us all to Minnesota on my first birthday and went to the grandparents who were also dysfunctional alcoholics. And uh, they would bring us in bars, and I can remember probably being three or four, or, I don't know, somewhere around there. And uh, these guys would grab me and put them on their, me in their laps, kiss me, bondle me. And I can remember going to my grandma, because they seen it, you know, going to my grandma and say, I don't like when they do that. You know, why are they why are they doing that? I don't like it. She says, oh, because you're cute. You know, and yeah, so not feeling, you know, no protection. And then uh, when the neighbors started molesting me, um, funneling me, um, he asked me, he's, you know, like you said, he asked me, um, do you tell your mom, because I thought they were my parents, I didn't know, and do you tell your mom everything that goes on around here? And my grandma had said, if you lie, you go to hell, right? So, but I lied because I just had that feeling to lie, and then it stopped. So I, I like, I was going to hell, but it stopped, you know, so very many feelings. And he wrote a three- and four-year-old neighbor girl. So the police walked around the neighborhood to ask the kids if this guy had touched them. And, you know, my mom was standing there looking down at me, like, um, scared and worried and the whole thing at one time, you know. And she said, you got to tell the officer. And I said, yeah, he did, and also my brother. And uh, anyway, nothing was said. And then all of a sudden, my brother says, you're, uh, um, you have to go to you have to go back to the judge, and you can't lie, you know, and just this whole thing all the way down there, and uh, you can big trouble if you lie to the judge. So I get in the judge's chambers, in him, and he says, uh, "What happened?" I says, uh, um, "He touched my peepee, you know." And the judge says, "I don't understand. Show me." So I felt just like I had, you know, it's with the neighbor, and all that happened. The guy was court ordered. Uh, not have any kids in his yard anymore. And when my grandma went, his wife went uh, to the post office. My grandma went up there and says, I can't believe what he did to the kids in the neighborhood. And all she said was, yeah, he likes children. And, and you know, so it's just like blows your mind that 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 is how it was. I'm I'm uh, six years myself, and, you know, this was this was the 60s and 70s, you know. So I can, mm-hmm. I can relate. And... Uh, yeah, I'm really sorry that I, I, I probably would have thrown the damn newspapers too. And um, yeah, you just, hopefully these days people would look more into it. Like my my cousin is a teacher in Minneapolis. I'm from Minnesota. Teacher in Minneapolis. And she said that, you know, trauma informed instead of just letting kids bad or problem behavior, whatever, um, they look into, you know, things more. Than, than they ever did before. So that makes me feel good that, you know, some things are changing, but yeah, there's just so much that needs to be done. 
Um, and I'm really, I'm really grateful that, you know, you're sharing your experience and especially with the book and stuff that people can, you know, get educated. And I appreciate you sharing about the grooming part too, because I do, they, they ask questions and try to figure out if you're the one they're going to target. Right. It's really sad. It's really sad. Um, so thank you. I'm going to keep listening. Thanks. Yeah. 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 So on the other side of it, to your last point, is that, you know, I was a great, I was a great parent, you know. I mean, I was just the, I had my children later in life. And, um, you know, I just uh, protected them. I was there for their transition. You know, I was present in their lives, you know. Uh, you know, I, I I was there for, for everything, but but I allowed them to grow and experience and 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 I helped them develop their talents. You know, we, we found gifts in them that that were never that no that maybe they never would have discovered if 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 what happened to me hadn't happened, you know. So a lot of what you know there's a good hundred and some pages in a book for someone that describes, you know, uh, how to be a parent, how to be there for transitions, how to meet those moments, how to to discover gifts, you know, that are in a child, how to nurture those gifts, um, and uh, and to transport the child into adulthood, you know, in one piece, right, whole or as whole as they can possibly be. And, and, and I accomplished that, you know, and, and, and um, they're great, great citizens and, and, and they weren't harmed. You know, they, they didn't experience trauma. They, they were never in a police station, you know, they didn't have a, uh, you know, a background that was, was dysfunctional. I, I I never drank in front of my children, you know. I had a home that 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 was an alcohol free home. And and you know, uh I applied you know I applied the lessons that I learned as a child, you know, and applied them to, to my adult life and to my parenting and it 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 was a remarkable journey because in doing so I healed my trauma. You know, it's like it's a circle of life, you know, and, um, you know, experiences happen over and over and over again in similar fashions. They'll always be the same if somebody doesn't get in there and change, you know, the direction of the circle or, the, or, 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 or stop, you know, the dysfunction or to stop the abuse. Someone's got to, every, somebody's got to step up in every generation and, and, and change the negative and and turn it into the positive and and so so i i had a i had a hard life i went through a lot you know but i never i never quit battling i i figured out really young that i would there was nothing wrong with me and that's what i would love to i want to say you know is, is that to tell all the victims you know there's nothing there was nothing wrong with you except that 
you know, you were brainwashed into believing that there is and, and, and to start fresh and to, to, to understand that life is, is a long, is a long life. And it's a, it's, it's not a marathon, you know, it's a, it's a walk through life. And if lessons are learned and, 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 and if, if, a, if, if a person is committed to evolving, then they can influence the future generations. I mean, in my mind, what's wrong with the planet is, is that, you know, the parents, the adults don't, they still don't get that they have the power to transport their children to better futures than they had. And so the cycle just goes and goes and goes. But, but again, wonderful people like, like our hosts, you know, understand that. And they're like out here saying, hey, you know, we're the vehicle of change. We've been through this. Listen to us. Let us help you. And, um, and we can take, you know, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm very funny. <laughs> I could have went to Hollywood, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's a joke. But the point is, is that we all have regrets on what we could have done. But I think for the victims, it's especially hard because we all understand that, that our lives were taken for us, from us, right? And while everybody else was driving, looking around, you know, maybe they came from safe homes. Maybe they were born into better conditions. They, they, they were able to study. They were able to get good grades. They were able to become educated. They, they were able to become functional. And the victims, you know, the victims, you know, that were assaulted, you know, in many, many ways, the growth was stunt, was stunted in that moment. And, and, and for me, I'll go back to the story, you know, the story is, is that after I left that police station, I became very angry and became a discipline problem. And my mind was fractured and I couldn't study anymore. I went from a BC student to a, to a DF student. I, 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 I was at war with my father. You know, I became a discipline problem. And, and the only way to solve a discipline problem is, in his mind, was to take away, you know, uh, my rights to go out and play baseball and to be a kid. And so I was punished. And, um, and, uh, and I, was, I was kept in the house for long periods of time. I, I found addictions. I, I, I got through the days watching criminal movies. You know, Jimmy Cagney was a hero of mine, you know, and, and I bonded with the television and, and, and watched from the window as, as other kids were, you know, were, were having fun. And I was just surviving. And, and, and when the bad grades came in, you know, it, it just escalated and it escalated. And, and then I found food as a way to escape. You know, I became obese, you know. And, and then as I got older, you know, when I did get out of the house, I, I had friends that were experimenting with, with beer. I started drinking. I, I, I had my first blackout at the age of maybe 13, you know, and, and, um, and, 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 uh, um, so, you know, and, and then barely got out of high school, you know, and, and with no skills, 
no skills at all. You know, I was obese and, and, uh, but I, I never quit, you know, I, I never quit. And, uh, um, and, and, and I realized at the age of 12, I was fortunate, you know, again, blessings. I knew nobody was going to help me. You know, I was once, 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 once I realized that I couldn't trust anybody that I used that as a gift. You know, and, and it was like, I'm going to get through this thing on my own. I'm going to stop enlisting people to save me because they're just not going to come. And so I floundered and I, I, I became homeless at one point and, and, and very, very angry, you know, and uh, kind of thought like a serial killer, you know. I learned to profile. You know, I learned to, it was really a remarkable experience is that, is that I, I became very smart too. You know, I was able to read people from across the room. I was able to, and I was gregarious. People loved me. You know, everywhere I, I had personality, and so I used my personality. But I could walk into a room. I still can, and I can, I can find my way from from the front door to the rear door and meet and greet and and and, and understand people. And um, and uh, so I garnished some gifts along the way as well. And uh, and uh, so. The story kind of, what happened was, is that I had a, an epiphany. I, I was, a, I was considered, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, which was a very, outside my door, there was, it was, there was a criminal element. And, uh, and I, 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 I learned things on the street and, and I, I became, because of, because of the assault, I became very smart. I learned very quickly on what not to do to, 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 to get caught or not to be abused. And so I was, I was tempted cause I was, couldn't get a job. You know, I was obese. I didn't have any energy. And, uh, so I drifted into a life of crime and I put together, I put together, I met some guys out of Detroit and I put together a pretty significant plan stole a million dollars and uh in the middle of it in the middle of it um i saw a young victim that was about to be raped and she was a young lady mm-hmm. that thought she had a career and she was being groomed as a prostitute and uh for, for prostitution and uh and i was a good guy i was a good kid you know i i, I just I had a great heart and she reminded me of my, my grammar school teacher. And coincidentally enough, again, it's a circle of life. The, this grammar school teacher was the one I call her Miss Hope in the book, a book of for someone is Miss Hope. And Miss Hope was the one that showed the police then my picture in the class you know, my face in the class picture. And she said, they picked, they picked my picture on. She said, oh, that's Jimmy. And she knew something happened to me because she was my school teacher and she saw my grades and she knew because the police were there. And, and she really was my, the only advocate I ever had in my life. She, we became very close and I loved her. And she said to me, I know what happened to you. You know, and it wasn't your fault. And she went on to say that something happened to her when she was a young lady that changed her life. And the only thing that helped her was teaching children. 
being around children helped her. So, mm-hmm. How old were you, 14, when you met her? Miss Hope? Yeah. My teacher? Probably 12. She, yeah. I mean, right away. Oh, you were 12. Okay. Yeah, she was just the next. Yeah, yeah right, away, right away when the rings were stolen, mm-hmm. she was the, my school teacher that showed my picture to the policeman. In other words, they picked my picture out of the class, picked yeah, my face, right? So yeah. Yeah. that summer, she really took an interest in me. And she mm-hmm. said, you know, you know, you're a good kid. And uh, don't let this beat you. Don't let it defeat you. Yeah. And she said to me that, told me that my only hope, only hope is a strong word. The, my, I had a choice. I could serve other people or I could live a life of self-centered. So she convinced me that the trauma that I had, had suffered could was either going to be a detriment. She saw it as a detriment, but she said that it could I could take up a life of selfishness or if I kept serving humanity, that I would find my way out. And um, And so I met this. In my 20s, my early 20s, I met young, and I remembered that, and and I, I, I did. I drifted into a protector, you know, as a teenager. I, 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 I didn't like predators, and I wasn't afraid to fight them, and uh, and so I got stronger, and and but yet I didn't have any skills, and then and then I I got involved in this 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 thing, and. And there was this young lady that was going to be destroyed, and I protected her, and uh, and ended up in jail. Walked on it, got well, got got probation. It was interesting because it was a very similar situation as what I experienced at the age of eleven. Mm-hmm. It was very very similar. Nobody would help her. I went to the police and I said, you know, you got to help this young lady. She's going to be raped and she's going to be turned out as a prostitute. And the police didn't help her, so I decided to help her myself. Wow. wow, that and, was great. Uh, and I wa- <laughs> and I walked out. I walked out. I walked out the other side, and I learned that 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 you know that there was divine providence in the world, and that maybe just maybe there was a, a bigger reason. I mean, that was my belief. I, I I it may have been crazy. It may have been. It may have been, but it was what I held on to that that there was a, that, that that my life had meaning, and and that I was going to make something out of it. So I was in I was in jail, and I was looking at a lot of a lot of prison time, and I and I made that decision that if I was really going to do something with my life, um, I would have to leave. I would have to leave the tribe. I would have to leave my family dysfunction and uh and i talked my way out of the conviction and i mean out of the conviction i got probation i i i had mentioned that i felt i was an alcoholic so part of my probation was that i had to go to aa and attend aa meetings and uh and i did and and i walked into community i walked into the community and into into a whole nother world than what I had ever encountered, right? And um, and and I I had to stay with it, or I was going to go to jail, and I did, and it it, it 
became something very, very real to me. And, uh, um, and then I met people and I met, I had a kind of sponsor that convinced me that, that a spiritual life was a way to live. It, it had a prof- it could have a profound effect. He had been sober and we had similar paths and he had a, he had a wonderful life. And he said that, that, that I needed a cornerstone and that, that, you know, being alcohol free was the beginning and that I could build an entire life on it. And I did that. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so that, that's the second half, what happened, right? So what it was like, what happened? And I had an epiphany in a jail cell that I was going to walk out of there. And I trusted that because I helped this young lady that was going to be victimized, that it was all going to be okay. And from there, uh, all these things came in from the outside that it just freed me. Just completely freed me, and um, uh, and it, it gave it gave me meaning that 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 the universe knew I was alive, and that uh, and that as hard as it was, that that I would it would be useful to others. So it was nineteen. You know, and I, I I'm writing. glad you brought that up, Jim, because I do think that um, I believe that the way that people usually, you know, start to heal and the reason why some people decide to change that whole trajectory of our our family and, and then some people don't is a lot of times that key person, like you said, that key person, Miss Hope, who gave you hope, you know, and told right. you that you can do this and you can – yeah, you can change things, and it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be like your parents. And, of course, it took time. I mean, you know, we all had our teenagers, too, after <laughs> after being abused and or by being abused. But, um, but just then finding that spiritual path, I think, is huge as well. You know, I think that it, a lot of people need to, to be able to heal and need that something bigger to grasp onto and, and to, you know, look forward to. And so, yeah, tell us about your spiritual journey a little bit. Yeah. I, I well, wanted to I, say that I, I wanted to yeah. say that I had just had tears, tears in my eyes when you mentioned uh, the teachers, you know, and, and yeah. I just tell people, you know, that have children that have been abused and stuff, or they've, you know, taken care of their grandchildren or whatever that, you know, a kid, all they really need is somebody in their life, you know, that that's a positive yeah. influence. And and I really didn't have a role model until I was an adult, you know. And uh, um, to just have that, I did have a teacher that um, I can remember when I, I was being bullied all through school, but I was in kindergarten and uh, I had this uh, hat and I couldn't get it tied. And the teacher bent down and tied the hat and I don't know, I just looked her eyes and I just felt safe you know and ended up in high school uh, middle school and high school going back and uh, um, volunteering in her class so because I wanted to be by her you know she didn't I don't think she necessarily said anything but I just you know just looked into her eyes that one day and felt safe it didn't matter what was going on around me anymore because it was like I had remarkable okay yeah yeah so I I, I you know just just believe in the child, like you said, you know, just 
try to, you know, what are their hopes and dreams or what are their, you know, they, like you said, you know, uh, raising children. I ended up, um, my kids ended up being abused and I blame myself because that was one thing I said, my kids will never be abused, but, you know, I blame myself for a long time. Um, and, and I knew they had the signs and everything and tried to tell a social worker and she just said, well, you're just transferring it because you were abused. You think your kids are, you know, and, and couldn't get help. So I put my kids in permanent foster care. And that was the best thing ever. It was the hardest thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did, you know. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, that you can make, you can make a difference in a child's life. Like I have people, you don't even realize that you go in the store and there might be, you know, kid getting yelled or whatever, and you just smile at them or just wave a little wave or something. You don't know how much it means, you know. Um, they might have never gotten smile in knows how long, <laughs> you know. And right. I had, you know, children that are being screamed at in the store and all purposely knock something off the shelf. Like, oh, I'm, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that. And the parent stops yelling at the kid. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's a tactic I use just for a little while. You know? And then I always turn and look at the kid and smile, like, you know, connect eyes. You just never know what little bit of something. That's why I said with the teacher, she just looked into my eyes and I could just see the love in her eyes. And sure. I kept looking at her whatever, you know, be bullied or whatever. I just look at her and I could just see love in her eyes, you know. Right. Yeah. So I'm right. just going to, yeah. You two are, you're both Miss Hope tonight, you know. You're both Miss Hope tonight. You're here and. In, in putting out, and, and then you, know, you had said you had said one other thing too. You had said um, that that you begin to not trust anybody, and then you had to do uh, things on your own. So, um, how do you get to a point? Can you tell people um, how do you get a point to not trusting anybody and doing everything on your own? Be able to trust some people, you know, like because you're on tonight sharing your story. You wrote a book. I mean, you you had that's to get a great to a point story. trusting oh, that's, some point. That, that, yeah. yeah. That's a great. That's a great question. Okay. So, so again, I, for me, and I believe though, I believe that that, and this is this is again, this is this is an this is, I'm 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 at the end of the I'm at the end of the circle, right? And so, um, I think it's as easy as looking for a kind heart. You know, you just described. The teacher looked at you that made you feel a certain way. And so I was in a relationship. My first relationship, um, significant relationship, I chose to marry my mom. <laughs> you know? And and I laugh at that because because it was all I knew, right? I was familiar with that. So I fell in love with alcoholism i fell in love with you know that dysfunction and i because it was familiar to me i mean i you know and then as i grew through the process i made a determination that that i was i was a kind i I had a kind heart right and and that i discovered my own gifts which is that i I found myself encouraging people, 
you know, I found myself being kind as I, I moved through, you know, recovery and into a spiritual buffed up program or whatever spiritual method I was playing around with or, you know, work and trying to apply in my life. And, and I discovered my own gifts. I was kind. I, I, I encouraged people. I was a greeter. I was like a great listener. I had empathy and um, for people and their, their lives and, and where they had come from. And so it was logical for me to look for a person that would have similar traits to me. And so, so for me, logically, I was like, oh, you're this way. You know, you, you, you know, you, you know, you, you want to be in a relationship and you, you want to be with a significant other. And, and so maybe look for someone like yourself that's, that has these ideas on what, you know, I had these ideas of who I wanted to be, you know, like I would write every 10 years, as I mentioned. And then within the writings, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would have a a bucket list of what I wanted to become over the next 10 years. So I was fortunate enough and I left the community. I left the the South side of Chicago. I left the Irish community. I left the alcoholism and I entered into the room of recovery and met new people and community. You know, I met community that, that, that was, was empathetic to me. And I traveled, I worked, I found I could work. I found that my, my, my skill set was that people trusted me. They liked me. So I, I opened a small construction company. I, and then from there, I, I visited the world. Miss Hope, my teacher, she, she put some books. She says, you gotta, you know, you gotta try to live your life. You gotta, she convinced me too, that, that the, the, the traumatized memory that I had, like the space between my ears was like, I don't know, eight inches. And it was my brain. It was where the, the traumatized memory was at. And she convinced me. She's very she's brilliant. She convinced me that I would probably live maybe to be 90 years old, and I would have 90. You know, I would have 80 more years of memories. And that if I lived a certain way, that the memories, you know, would 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 be stronger than the trauma of the memory that I was experiencing at the age of 11. And she also told me that I had, an, I needed to, and this was people told me in AA is that, yeah, I, I was, I had to stop compounding the trauma by harming myself, right? So as I stopped doing that to myself and stopped mistreating myself, I grew into a caring person. And to answer your question, I looked for people with similar traits that that I had, and so I traveled and I met a. A woman in 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 Acapulco, Mexico, and it just she packed her bags on vacation in Toronto, and I packed my bags in Chicago, and we were in the same hotel, and uh, we met, and it and 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 we fell in love. We dated each other over a couple of years. We traveled back and forth between the countries, and and she had similar traits in me. She was kind. She had empathy. She cared about people. You know, she, and, and I fell in love with all of those traits in her. And so we embarked on our, our future. We embarked on our journey. And it wasn't always easy, believe me. I'm not, would never sit here, but we always returned basic, um, um, our, our basic instincts to, to give and not take. 
And, um, and so I was able to answer your question in a long-winded way. I apologize. I was able to trust with somebody that, that, that was caring and kind. And so I took chances. I disclosed to her my abuse. I did things that I took some risks, and I wasn't, like, insulted over it. So my strength got stronger, and, and from there we had a child. And, and we, we, you know, we had a son, and I had this crazy dream that I was going to relive my life through my children. I was remember I, I came through the recovery when the books were reading were being written about, you know, your inner child and things. And I was very interested in that. I, I could see, even though I didn't have a significant other, I didn't even have a girlfriend, I could see how that was possible to relive my childhood through a child, you know, and, and that's what I did. And, and I was fortunate. We, I, I proposed, she said, yes. And, uh, and, uh, we had a son and, and, um, and, uh, I, I was there, you know, like little things. It was like the conscious, my conscious mind that when, when he had a transition, I remembered my transitions and, and what took place in my adult life as a father was that when I, when I made, when I was there for his transitions, I would meditate and I would think about me being alone through my transitions and we were together and, 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 and then being there for his transition was stronger and more powerful than my memory of no one being there for my transitions, if that makes sense. And I, I put, I stacked those every day. I stacked them up one at a time, you know, um, over you know 18 years and then he went off to college and 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 then what happened then is that we my wife and i adopted an african-american baby that was again we were i was into this thing about breaking you know generational dysfunction and she she was uh you know her birth mom was 20 she was the fourth child and um and I didn't. I wanted my son to have a, a sister and and uh, or a, a family, a, a, a sibling. And and uh, we were struggling because we, we we got married, you know, when we were forty. And so, you know, we should adopt a baby. And so we adopted this little four-pound baby that came in three days. You know, we met the birth mom, and and uh, and three days later, Angelica, my daughter Angelica, was born. And uh, she's remarkable, you know, we, we, she's remarkable, you know, we broke generational trauma, poverty, you know, and, and again, being there for the transition of the child and their lives and nurturing them and mentoring them with the intent that, that I was receiving every day of my life, um, that they were the gift for me. And then, and then I gave them everything that I knew that would help them be great adult citizens. So, so I heal through my children. It's possible. And the memories with them just dwarfed the memory of the assault and the trauma that I incurred in the being alone and, and, you know, decade after decade after decade of living a different way, um, came to fruition. And as I did it, I wrote the story. 
And uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I don't know. Does that does that make does any of that make sense? I hope it does. <laughs> yeah, I I no, tell people I have a life I never could imagine because I have you know I've been recovering myself, and I that's what I tell people I have a life I never could have imagined. Uh, I didn't even plan to live past 18. I had 18 and went, oh my god, I'm still alive. You know, <laughs> I, I just didn't plan it. And uh, you know, then I floundered around for a while, and I got I got sober when I was 24, and I'm 60. Oh. But um, okay. Um, you know, the thing is with people, that's a lot of a lot of 24 hours, and they say, no, that's that's a lot of moments at a time. <laughs> Matter of right. fact, when I had 26 years sober, and when I had 26 years sober, I googled how many seconds it was, <laughs> and that's what I put on my Facebook. <laughs> How many seconds? Because so, I said each moment I had to make a decision for the next moment what I was going to do, you know. And uh, um, I just tell people, you know, all those moments it took even to get into a meeting or whatever. And I think the, me always knowing that I had compassion for other people because I hurt, mm-hmm. you know, when I see people hurt. And I always felt like sure. I needed to do something. Yeah, so I can I can relate to that. And yeah, and, and two children, you know, and I was in not a psych ward. I was in a revolving door, and I just realized it wasn't fair to my kids. My kids were not, yeah. they didn't have a stable life. And I had to give that to them, no matter how hard it was going to be on me. I had to give my kids stability. And, and fortunately, I know a lot of kids that go in foster care have horrible experiences. Fortunately, mine had very good experiences. And they are they are very productive and you know, they wouldn't they would never had that if if I didn't have that choice. So, you know, sometimes yeah. it's a really hard time but I knew in my heart it was the right thing to do. And uh um yeah, putting up the Christmas tree and, you know, doing all these things and, you know, yeah, I found joy again through my through the eyes right. of my kids, you know, because I'd go, Oh my God, look how free they are. They're just like Running in the yard and they're laughing and they're, you know, chasing the butterflies. Right. That is really right. cool. <laughs> you know? Right. I'm like, get right. Go, let's go running in the yard and chase the butterflies, you know? So, right. Yeah. It could be awesome. You there? Did I lose you? Yeah. Hi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful that you would would adopt and and pay that forward. And yeah, I love oh, that yeah. story. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. Yeah. And I see your daughter on yeah on your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. She is beautiful. So, um, tell us a it's little bit about feel safe. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and, right. Um, I mean, they you know. they have that safety in the moment. They're carefree and they're just like so free. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was able to give that to my children as well, and um, sure. because I was determined that they weren't going to grow up like I grew up. And um, mm-hmm. I also I had a a mom. I mean, yeah, my my family was very dysfunctional as well. So I can relate to that growing up. And um, my mom was only 16 when she had me. So by the time she was in her 20s, she was ready to party. Well, she was divorced and ready to party. And um, so that's kind of where my 
dysfunction was. Mm-hmm. I think they were just trying to be 20-year-olds, and but they had two yeah. children to take care of, and they neglected those right. children. And, um, and I personally feel that my faith was a huge part in, you know, getting me through that whole time, my childhood, and um, because my parents weren't going to be there to support me. As a matter of fact, my mom, you know, as I as I grew older, I realized that my mom just enabled my dad, who was my stepdad. He adopted us, but um, he's the only dad that I really knew, and um, he he had a physically sexually, emotionally, you know, abused me. And, um, and you know, basically she was like, oh, it just happens. You know, so she was living the opposite. She was enabling that dysfunction to continue on. My mom mm-hmm. made that choice. It was too bad. I mean, even at 16, she could have made the choice to raise her child and children differently, but she chose not to. And, um, and so that's, yeah, that's where my story is as well. And yeah. and it did, yeah. you, you just touched a little bit about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So how does that play into your story? Yeah. Well, so the the forgiveness aspect is is that you know I I, I wanted someone I wanted so my father and I my father tried to destroy me. Let me just say that is that that he he really wanted he really really tried to destroy me and and because he couldn't break me and so it was an incredible situation and um and i refused to allow him to break me and it just escalated over decades to the point of hatred and um and then I did started to do well in life, you know, and I, I was getting, you know, I was getting lots of approval from society, you know, I had found my way and, um, and he hated me for that as well, because it, in his mind, it meant that he was wrong, you know, that he was wrong about everything. I proved him wrong in everything, you know, I lost weight, I recovered, I, I, recaptured, you know, my physical appearance. I, I became, I, I became what was underneath all the sorrow and the sadness. You know, I, I, I shut it and, and I, I, it was like a, a huge coat that I over time took out, took off. And, um, and, and people like me, I was in, you know, Oh, you know, you know, in, and so he hated me for that. So part of the journey was that I had this crazy idea that if I if I allowed my children's um, uh, childlike traits to influence me, that they would teach me to forgive. And 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 so in a book for someone this particular story and it's, it's what happened. Um, I was in Las Vegas and I traveled a lot. I was in Las Vegas and I had some, I was there for a wedding and, uh, and, uh, it was a, you know, a typical Las Vegas wedding. And, and, uh, and so I was approached and I, I was offered, you know, 
drugs and sex. And uh, I had a moment like the Buddha and may possibly like Jesus in the wilderness where I, I had been sober a long time, but I was being tempted and I could have done whatever I wanted to. And I fought, fought that off. And, uh, and, uh, and I wrote a story how I battled to reclaim my child and uh, went in and, and, and I shed my alter egos and, and I shed, I shed, I, I, I battled through so much in my life that I, I, I wrote a story that, that I rescued him. I went back. I, I did battle in a card game because it took place in Las Vegas. I played cards against myself. I played cards against, you know, my alter egos. I played cards against Larry Creep, the molester, and I found a way to win. And, and it's a great story. But the story is, is that the story, the, the name of the chapter is um, uh, You Win If You Don't Play. And, and basically what happened was is that I, you know, I stopped playing the game in my head against the molester. I stopped playing the game in my head, you know, with Larry Creep and, and my, my trauma. I just had evolved to the point where I was able to say, enough. You're the one that's dealing these cards. You're the one that keeps reliving these moments, Jim. You're the one that it's in your memory. And I wasn't married at the time. Uh, my relationship was on, it was on the line because I was afraid to commit. And I made a decision that I was going to stop playing this game with myself. And I was going to, uh, you know, somehow get down below all the junk and meet myself. So I did. I, I, it's what happened over, it was a terrible night, but it was a glorious night in the sense that, that I pretty much rescued myself because I fought off this huge temptation. And, uh, and um, and and embarked on the other side, saying, you know, get married, go get married, pursue your future, you know, forget about you've never had a successful relationship, forget the fact that you, you know, that that you have all this these reasons why it won't work. Pursue your future, be, pursue it, and, 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 and live the way you just lived last night by fighting off the demons. And this woman that, 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 that I married, you know, she, was, she, was, she never worried about anything. She didn't live in any fear. She wasn't traumatized. So I had this crazy thought that I would enter into her world and live safely in her world. And... and um, and uh, so I allowed her, I just, without being needy, I just decided that I would, I would live in her world. And, and, and in doing so, I kind of met myself at the age of 11 in this meditation. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, we kind of hugged each other. I made it happen. I visualized it. It was very powerful. And I came out the other side and, and, and went to Toronto and got married. And, and, uh, and then I, I, I realized that, 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 that 
the safety of the relationship, if I stayed within that, that I could I could use it as a protective shield, if that makes sense. In my, you know, and and so I was I stayed inside the, the family cycle, and and if you wanted to find me, I was with my family, and 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 so the forgiveness part is is that I recognized my son was born kind. He was a very kind boy, you know. He had kindness in him, and I was like, you know, I I could use I could use a lot of that. I like that, you know. So I I would let I would use his kindness as a way not to become infuriated or to control help me control my anger. And there was a critical moment with him. He would, you know, somebody stole his Pokemon cards, and I was very angry, <laughs> you know. And, and I was like, you can't, you know, and he looked up to me and he said, that's okay, Dad. It's okay. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, I don't think he can afford cards. No. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And I was like, okay. He goes, let's, let's not be mad at him. Let's not, let's not be angry at him. You know, that's what he was saying to me. And, and, yeah. and then, and then, and then, so I was like, wow. You know, okay. You know, and he was right. You know, so I let I let the, I let him teach me. You know how. You know, because children are like innocent, right? They don't. We all the garbage is uh-huh. taught. You know, so so oh, I yeah. just let them again influence me. And then my daughter was 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 the thinker. You know, she was very analytical. She's like a little Jedi Knight. You know, and and <laughs> and uh, you know she had she just she had answers and. And she would say things that were, were like profound, and and I would be like, okay, you know, that, and and then my and then and then so a lot of years went by, right? And I didn't talk to my mom and dad, and then out of nowhere, I got a phone call. My mom was dying, and uh, and uh, I was asked to be a part of the. My brothers and sisters were we're going to a wedding in California and they needed someone. My mother, my mother had had a stroke and, and, uh, I got a call out of nowhere saying mom's dying, you know, and, uh, and, uh, we had a wonderful, so I took care of her. My parents, they, they, my, my brothers and sisters went to California. It was just me and my dad and, and, uh, and, uh, and she was in a coma and, and, uh, and uh, I was at the house, and he had gone to Sunday mass, and she came out of her coma, and she she uh, uh, had peed all over herself. She was in the hospital, and she was sent home to die, and she peed all over herself, and she was shivering, and she climbed out of bed, and uh, and and I and I and I I took her clothes off, I washed her, and she mm-hmm. said, "Oh, Jimmy, it's you. I thought I heard your voice." And we had a moment where, where she looked down at me and she said, I said, you know, she says, I said, how do you feel? She said, oh, I want to die. I want to die. It's so hard. And mm-hmm. I said to her, Mom, I'm sorry. I haven't been around, you know, but I just got to take care of my kids. And she said, I know. You did the right thing. I wish we would have done that for you. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I had that moment with her. And, uh, and, and, and my father unbeknownst to me was in the kitchen was listening to the conversation and and it was a moment where defined providence put me in that spot right and and but i had changed because of the influence of my children and and then of course we got in a fight over that and 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 uh we had words and and um uh and uh 
you know, and then seven years later, he was dying. He had gotten drunk. He fell on the floor mm-hmm. and he laid in on the floor for two days. My dad did. And he wanted to see me and there were issues with the will. And he said, look, you need to take care of me like you took care of your mom. I don't trust your brothers. <laughs> and um, oh. the, the last the last chapter is called hypocrisy. And, uh, and in any event, I, I spent the last 18 months with him once a week. And, uh, and we, we came together, you know, we, we figured it out. And then, and then at the end, it's kind of ironic. He say his eulogy, you know, when you're going to die, you you have these thoughts that you're going to go to hell if you're a Catholic that went to church every Sunday and, uh, and then lived horribly Monday through Saturday. And so he was convinced he was going to go to hell and the priest was going to give the eulogy that was going to somehow squeak him into heaven. And he said the priest retired and went to fly fish in Montana. And uh, and who was going to say the, say the sermon for him to give the good, you know, to, to plug him to God. And so as they would have it, the, 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 the couple of days later I went to visit him and he had had a stroke and I prayed over his body. And, uh, and I said, mm-hmm. you know, forgive him, God, for he knows not what he did. And uh, I just gave away the ending of the book, but it's okay. Um, but, but in any event, in any event, forgiveness, the influence of my children taught me how to forgive. And, um, and, and I took what they taught me and I applied it to the, to the rage and to the anger and, and all the things that were done to me. And, and I walked out of it. And of course, I wrote it too. I was very interested. I had this crazy idea through, the, through my mother's experience that I was completing the circle of life and, and, and very few mm-hmm. I had met or talked to had the opportunity to complete the circle of life and forgiveness. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's what happened. So, oh, and I, and I, 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 I didn't, I didn't, yeah, that's it. I didn't feel, I felt like I, I, I had done what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And, and and a lot of grace because of that, you know, because ultimately they were both victims. They were both victims of generational trauma as well. Right. Yeah. It, like my right? parents were. They were. Yeah. It doesn't give them an excuse for what they did and their neglect, but it does help you as an adult understand a little bit more. And I think that we all look for that eventually. Is a little bit of understanding right. why they did what they did, you know. Right, right, so. right, right. Yeah. And it, it is the edge that it's the edge that we all need in order to forgive. It's like I could not forgive while I was stuck on the line of like they did this to me, but when I pivoted and I moved to the left, and it took a it took a, a lifetime to do it, you know. But yeah. when I I changed the vision and they became human and just just kind of like, you know, pathetic people that, that were, were, weren't very bright, that were self-indulgent, you know, right. that were victims themselves. It kind of was the edge that I needed. It was the, it was the, it was the component that I needed in order to shift my anger and resentment into forgiveness. And I walked out the other side. Mm-hmm feeling grace because I rose to that occasion. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole mm-hmm. story. You know, so. That's great. So tell us, we've got about 
five minutes left. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us how to get a hold of you and how to get your book. And um, yeah, go for yeah. that. <laughs> tell us how to get a hold so of you. So my web, yeah, my website is www.divinechild.us. My name's Jim Heaney. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Jim Heaney. Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Jim Heaney Author. Um, and uh, uh, I published a book for someone, uh, A Story of Forgiveness in the Circle of Life is on Amazon. It's filled with uh, great pictures, uh, all the spiritual method methods and disciplines that I encountered in my life. There's some neat stories on how I utilize them in my life. So it's it's a it's a it's a trek between birth and you know sixty eight years of of experiences, including there's a neat story on immigration and you know how continents intersect and and um and adoption being an adoptive parent and and experiencing the trauma and, and again it's 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 a great story. It's a roadmap. You know, the gift that I would like to leave behind, the legacy would be, you know, you don't have to, you know, wonderful souls like the two of you and Bill, you know, we cut, we cut, we cut trees down with butter knives, but we're there because we love you and that we care about you and we're trying to suggest to you that, that you can, you can, you don't have to wait a lifetime to understand things and so my book is a roadmap on how to how to how to how to see things to read things to to realize the advantages that that the victims can take and carry forward with themselves there's great stories about community there's there's a story about some time that I spent with Native Americans and sweat lodges and I was in the I was in the temples with uh you know uh, with the Buddhists and um, and traveling and breaking away from generational mm -hmm. trauma, and 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 it's all there, you know, and it's affordable. I, I mm -hmm. it's 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 really affordable, and 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 it's it's. I believe that I believe that we need to we need to care enough about ourselves and and to and to evolve, and and so it's a roadmap. So it's divinechild.us. Book Jim Heaney. You can see my family. I have a great website, and uh, uh, and it's a spiritual trek. It's a spiritual walk. So that's, yeah, that's, that's it. Really yeah. Cool. So thank you so much, Jim. We really appreciate you being on, and it's been just a pleasure and an honor to have you this evening. And don't be a stranger. You're welcome on any time, and you're welcome to to call in and you know be a guest or be hey, a part of the panel. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead, how Victoria. Do, how do you how do you how do you, how do you do that? Because I would like to do that. I would like to return. Um, do, so yeah. when I go to your what's your web, what's okay. the website that I would go okay. to and look at events and things? So you know what? I'm going to send you a, a message on Facebook since okay. I've got you on there. Okay. And I'll send you a message Perfect. on how to do it since we're running out of time. But um, okay. just thank you again for being on this evening and. I'm uh, sorry. I thought that was Victoria that was talking <laughs> real quick. So I apologize. I said Victoria there, but 
Um, Jim, we were so yeah, just honored to have you. Thank you. And I look forward to getting to know you better. <laughs> and thank you, Victoria, for being the co-host this evening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did want to let other people know we, we are looking for guests as well. Um, if you have a, you know, if you'd like to share your story. And then also, yes, you can return and be on a panel and help support other survivors that are telling their story because um, yeah. we need to support each other. I think it's really important when you're telling right. your story to have other people that are, you know, a witness to, to be there for you. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for Thank being you. part of our NASCAR family there, Jim. I appreciate yeah. it. Great. <laughs> yeah. Great to get yeah. you. We love you. Hope yeah. Good the, hope, it's, hope, <laughs> hope it's a light that shines through all and say hello to Bill for me. Okay. Yeah. Have okay, a great day. We will. We'll talk, yeah. we'll talk soon. Take okay. Care. Real soon. Yeah. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Take bye-bye. care, everyone. Have a great night. Bye. Cause that's gone with